NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mylock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down former athletes and decide whether or not you should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we welcome back USA Today sports reporter and Hall of Fame voter Steve Gardner to talk about the Hall of Fame candidacy and career of Manny Ramirez. Now, before we bring Steve on, let's talk a little more about Manny. This is going to be Manny's sixth year on the ballot. Uh, On the 2021 ballot, he got 28.2% of the vote. So he's still very far away from that 75% threshold, uh, but he is at 28.2% as of today. Uh, Over the course of Manny's career, he had a 69.3 career war, 2,574 career hits, 555 home runs, 1,831 RBIs, a 312 career batting average, 411 career on base percentage, and a 585 career slugging percentage with a 154 OPS plus. So all really all time numbers there. He was a 12 time All Star, nine time Silver Slugger winner, won two World Series with the Boston Red Sox. Of course, was a part of that 2004 team that won after that extremely long drought. He won the World Series MVP in that World Series as well, and also ran a, uh, won a batting title back in 2002. Now, Manny never won an MVP award, but from 1998 to 2005, he finished in the top 10 in MVP voting every single season. Um, so that's eight straight years. He led the MLB in home runs once, RBIs once, um, batting average once, uh, on-base percentage three different times, slugging three times, OPS three times, and OPS plus once. If you thought when I was talking about his career numbers earlier that they seem very high, um, they are because he's 11th in MLB history in career slugging percentage, 12th in MLB history in career OPS, 15th in career home runs, 19th in career RBIs, 34th in career doubles, and 36th career in on-base percentage. He also has the most career postseason home runs, the most postseason career walks, and the second most postseason career RBIs. That was a laundry list of achievements because uh, that's kind of Manny Ramirez, one of the better hitters in MLB history. However, still not in the Hall of Fame, and there's a few reasons why that is. And Steve and I are going to talk about those as well as whether or not we think Manny Ramirez deserves to be in Cooperstown. So with the quick facts out of the way, let's bring on Steve. All right, so joining the podcast for the third time, first since last year, is USA Today sports reporter and Hall of Fame voter Steve Gardner. Steve, welcome back. How have you been? Hey, Jim. Um, it's it's that time of year again. It's it's great to talk Hall of Fame, especially with no real hot stove stuff going on right now. Um, the Hall of Fame is is the big thing in the world of baseball, and uh, I'm I'm excited to at least talk about uh, some good things and some positive things in the sport uh, before we get to, you know, all of the uh, machinations and negotiations and everything else that are that are to come over the winter. Yeah, I mean, this is the distraction that we have, so I'm not even thinking about that yet. But, of course, when this ends, I will begin. So this is a nice, calm period before all of that. And, again, you know, Steve, we had him on last year. We talked about um, – Kurt Schilling, and we talked about Jeff Kent. Both of them are still on the ballot this year. They did not get in those last year. And on today's podcast, we're talking about Manny Ramirez, who is going to be on his sixth year on the ballot um, in, for the 2022 ballot. In 2021, he got 28.2% of the vote. In 2020, he got the same exact percent of the vote. And um, Steve, as you and I were talking before the podcast, no one got in, of course, last year. So not only is he up against all the people he was up against last year, for the most part, at least the heavy hitters, he also has people like Big Poppy coming on the bout and A-Rod coming on the bout and even players that I kind of are very fond of, like Jimmy Rollins coming on the ballot. So even more names kind of going on there. So will he go up? Will he go down? That's something we can discuss. But really, as we always talk about on this podcast, it's, you know, do we think like, what is this hall of fame? can do we think he should be in? And, and Steve, I asked you this last year when we were talking about Schilling and we were talking about Ken, I'll ask you for Manny today. Um, you know, when you think of Manny Ramirez, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, it's, it's sort of like a dichotomy because Manny, you think about 
first of all, his quirkiness and and how everything was a production for him. Um, there was no player like Manny Ramirez, but yet when it comes to on the field production, you think about excellence. And so, I mean, there are so many things that uh, that strike me when you say Manny Ramirez, and I, I think we can go over a, a few of them, you know, but essentially Manny being Manny encompasses everything. Uh, when you talk about Manny Ramirez from, you know, uh, you know, the pine tar all over his batting helmet, the, the baggy pants that he wears, and then some of the other crazy things that he did. Um, he missed a game with knee pain when he was with the Red Sox, and then they sent him to get an MRI and he forgot which which knee was giving him trouble. Um, you know, he cut off. Remember that memorable throw that Johnny Damon threw from the outfield that Manny cut off in the middle of the outfield. Um, I mean, there's so many crazy things about Manny Ramirez. But yet when you get to his on field performance, you have a superstar and uh, one of the best hitters, I think in terms of that I have seen one of the three best right-handed hitters I have ever seen perform. And I think you could put Manny Ramirez as a hitter in the same category as Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera, two guys who in my mind are locks for the hall of fame. Yeah. I mean, and I think the, the Manny being Manny stuff and, you know, I always, the first one I go to, the cutoff one cracks me up every time. I always, I always go to when he went in the green monster. I, I don't know if it was during a delay or something, but when he went in there and came out, that was like the biggest deal. I feel like for days about yes. him, what he was doing in there, what was going on. And, and, and see, I guess my first question you around that, cause the hitting part of it, and we can get to the numbers and you cannot, as you said, he's in the, the Pujols category in terms of just offensive star power. Um, and we can talk about how he stacks up against some of the big hitters on the ballot, but the Manny being Manny stuff, we, we laugh about it. It's funny. For the most part, it's harmless. I, I think there was a time he like high fived a fan when he caught a fly ball before he threw the, the, the ball back in the infield to get a double play. So sometimes it's kind of interfering with the game, but the Manny being Manny stuff, does that interfere at all? Like when you're thinking about a Hall of Famer or should he be in or among your voters, your fellow voters, do you think that hurts his case at all? Or is that just part of his personality? I think it could um, because not only is it, you know, a lot of the stuff is harmless, but there's also the part about being a good teammate and there is, you know, the sportsmanship aspect of it. And Manny, a lot of times was not a great teammate. He was a very me first kind of player. He was somebody who would get into altercations with his teammates, with his manager, with the front office. I mean, how many times, many times, maybe more than a handful of times, he requested to be traded from the Red Sox because he wasn't happy with this, that, or the other. So uh, in terms of, you know, building that clubhouse chemistry, I mean, yes, he was a fantastic player and that certainly can help build chemistry when you're winning, but when you're not getting along with your teammates or you're thinking about only yourself, that can that can harm a team. And so, you know, when you talk about intangibles and, and things like that, which on borderline Hall of Fame candidates, uh, sometimes the sportsmanship aspect of it, sometimes the character clause, the intangibles, sometimes those can come into play. So I, I think when taking into consideration the entire person of Manny Ramirez and his candidacy, I think sometimes, yes, the Manny being Manny part of it does actually detract from him as a, uh, as a player. Yeah. Because I, you know, whenever the Manny being Manny thing, I, I want to say he's almost in any sport. I was really trying to think about it. The only other person that came up to me in my head was like Terrell Owens a little bit, but yeah, almost his, that overshadows the greatness. Like you look at the numbers, you look at the plays, you look at his career. It's an all time career. Usually someone that's a Manny being Manny or T.O. had a million antics, usually associate that with someone who maybe isn't at the top of their game, but they, they do other stuff like that to stand out. You know, Manny didn't have to do any of that to stand out. That was just no. kind of his personality. T.O. didn't have to do anything to stand out, but that was part of his personality. Maybe it's maybe it was what made T.O. great. I don't know if that made Manny any better, 
But I feel like sometimes those side, like that takes away from what we think of as a player fair or not. And in Manny's case, I, I feel like it does hurt him a little bit. Luckily numbers are there and you can look at them and you can remember the moments, but I always sometimes go back to some, like people might just look at the, the blooper reel and laugh at all the things there. Cause like, <laughs> if you're watching sports and they go back, they're kind of going to show that green monster going in there. They're cutting off the cutoff or, they're going to show that as much as his great plays. And, and sometimes that can over time, over the years, you can kind of just remember those things first instead of some of his better moments. But that's kind of a perfect segue, uh, Stephen, to, to that memorable moment. And this is the segment where we kind of try to pinpoint, and I think Manny has plenty. You know, if you had to say what was Manny Ramirez's most memorable moment during his baseball career, whether it be a single game, uh, a play, or even an entire season, a playoff series, what would you say his most memorable moment was um, on the ball, on the ball field? I think it has to be in 2004 when he led the Red Sox to their first world series championship in 86 years and was the MVP of that world series. I mean, that was a tumultuous season at the beginning. Remember, you have to go back to the off season even when that was the year where the Alex Rodriguez trade talk heated up and where Manny Ramirez was essentially the key player the Red Sox were going to trade in a deal that they struck with Texas to get Alex Rodriguez and bring him to Boston. But yet, that deal fell through. So you can imagine, you know, with a temperamental player such as Manny Ramirez, you know, if they were going to trade him and then they don't trade him and then he's got to play the season, um, you know, how that starts off in that, uh, you know, uncertainty. But then that year, he ended up winning the home run title, hit 308, won the Hank Aaron Award as baseball's top uh, hitter in the American League. And then taking the Red Sox into the playoffs, you know, reversing the curse and winning MVP honors in uh, just destroying the Cardinals that year. Um, it was, it, I would have to say, the peak of his career because it validated everything, you know, all of the trouble of, of Manny and, and all of the drama was finally worth it for the folks in Boston because they finally got that World Series title. Yeah, I had the same exact thing written down. 2004 World Series, like you said, he, he won the MVP award as well in that World Series. It was Boston winning it. I know as a Cubs fan, when we won 2016, I'll remember every single player from that team, mm -hmm. uh, just like Boston fans, even though now they win all the time. In 2004, <laughs> you know, it seemed impossible. And, you know, Manny, Manny batted 412 in that series, uh, 500 on base, 588 slugging. And he had a home run for us, and he said it was only a four games. They swept the Cardinals. They killed them. Um, and, and he got a hit in every game in that postseason. Too. Every hit. And, and, you know, Manny, Manny is a postseason player, too. Um, you know, not just that World Series. He, he never won a MVP in the, the championship series, even though he had some all-time. His 2007 um, ALCS championship series, I believe he had two home runs, 10 RBIs in that to get Boston the World Series again to win. But it, and a walk-off home run also oh, that oh, yeah. in the NL or the ALDS yep. off uh, off Francisco Rodriguez against the Angels, uh, you know, very memorable there too. I mean, he has the. I didn't realize this until I was just looking into it a little more. But you know, he's all-time uh, number one in career postseason homers with 29. No one's mm -hmm. really close. He's second all-time in postseason RBIs with 78. He's first all-time in postseason walks with seven or. Um, with 78 as well. So, you know, of course, postseason's expanded over the last 30 years. So there's a lot more games for him to play in, but still he's, he's, he retired on top of all the record books there in terms of, you know, some of the top offensive categories, he really came up where it mattered. So again, we, we talked at the beginning, Manny being Manny kind of joking around, maybe being silly and not seeming to take it seriously, but at the same time, I, I know I've talked to many people who say he's one of the most, you know, disciplined hitters in terms of his preparation, him making sure that he was Absolutely. excellent at his craft. It's just, he could have, it's, it's like, you know, it's at your coworkers. There's some coworkers <laughs> that do really great work, but they're serious all the time. There's other coworkers that goof around all the time, but they still crush it at work. 
some people can do both, and Manny was kind of one of those players. And I'll say one other thing, too, in terms of, of memorable moments for Manny Ramirez. I think we can't talk about his career and not mention what he did in 2008, you know, after he was traded from the Red Sox and completely wore out his welcome, they sent him to the Dodgers and just he had a, an amazing season there. Manny Wood became a thing. Uh, and just the numbers that he put up in 53 games with the Dodgers, just amazing. You know, hit 396, 489 on base, 743 slugging, and 53 RBIs in 53 games. And the crazy part of that, just 53 games, he was fourth in the NL MVP voting. I mean, that's how big of an impact he made in leading the Dodgers from a 500 team to a division championship or, or, you know, playoff team that, uh, yeah, they won the division. They won the West that year. Um, amazing, amazing. And, uh, also a playoff victory as well. So that to me, um, really validates, you know, he could do it. He did it in Cleveland. We haven't even talked about him leading the Cleveland Indians to a pair of world series appearances. And then after the Boston success goes to the Dodgers still in the twilight of his career, performing at such a high level and that that 2008 season especially you know for people who play fantasy baseball when you get Manny Ramirez coming to you know your league and you can add him as a free agent in fantasy baseball and he produces like that um it's legendary and that was that was huge for uh, for Manny during his career I'm really glad you brought up the Dodger uh, portion of his career because people, again, you think of Cleveland, you think of Boston, but that Dodger, that stretch, the 50 whatever games he played, I vividly remember that. And honestly, Stephen, curious what you think here. The only other player that even comes close to my mind in terms of going to a team at, around the deadline and kind of pushing them over the top would be when Sabathia went to the Brewers for that half a season. That's the only other comparable, because I think CC finished pretty high up in the NL Cy Young Award that year, even though he only pitched for half a season. There's there anyone else that even comes close to the impact Manny had for that second half of that Dodger year? Yeah, in terms of impact on the team and 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 everything, no, Sabathia, you're exactly right. That was the one guy that came to mind. I guess you could sort of say JD Martinez when he went oh. to the Diamondbacks, yeah, um, had a had a huge impact, but certainly not from a team success standpoint in, in leading them, you know, uh, to to even greater things. Yeah, that that has to be one of the the greatest half seasons in, in baseball history. Yeah. No, it is. And again, that I think that gets lost in history. I think people also forget Manny did play for a few other teams at the end of his career. I completely forgot about the Tampa Bay Devil Race stint when I was kind of going through his uh, baseball reference there. But it yeah, was that forgettable. That's it for was sure. Forget it was not the Dodger run. So the Dodger run is something super important. I, I, I vividly remember that on Sports Center. I feel like every morning just he collected a few more hits and he was just take put the team on his back. As and remember, too. Can. Yeah. And remember, too, how those Dodger caps with the dreadlocks were like the thing that everybody in LA was wearing to the games. It was, you know, it was, it wasn't quite Fernando mania, but it was really close. Yeah. And, and, and it's important. Remember too, at that point when he got traded there, he was, he was 36 years old. So this is at the very end of his career. He was still, you know, able to put up those numbers, get fourth in the MVP only playing that many games. But, but Steve, I do want to go to our last mini segment here before we go to court. So we call this and twins. And again, for and twins, what we try to do is we look at Cooperstown today. We look at who is in there. And then we say, you know, when we're thinking of you know, what Manny did in the game, whether it be his style of play or he, how he hit or strictly his numbers, who would you say the closest twin to Manny Ramirez is today that's in Cooperstown? 
Well, in terms of style of play, I don't know that you can compare him to anybody. So that's kind of out the window. But in terms of what kind of a hitter he was, and you know, we're talking about somebody who hits for power, who hits for batting average, and has fantastic plate discipline. I think that's what you know sometimes gets lost in the shuffle when you talk about Manny Ramirez, is how great of a batting eye he had for 11 career on base percentage. That's just phenomenal. And for somebody that um, that who, who was uh, combined all of those factors um, and who is in Cooperstown, I think of the big hurt, Frank Thomas. I mean, mm. he did those same sorts of things. Thomas never won a, a home run or an RBI title the way Manny Ramirez had um, or a World Series for that matter. But when you talk about the type of hitter, big Frank would would not swing at pitches out of the strike zone was perfectly fine taking a walk and you know letting his other his teammates pick him up and Manny Ramirez was that same type of hitter very disciplined and you know Manny would hit to the opposite field he would pull mistakes for you know long long home runs um Frank Thomas was that kind of hitter and and I think too for active players Miguel Cabrera who we mentioned earlier is a similar type of hitter because again, you can't make him swing at a bad pitch, you know, especially in his prime and he would destroy everything. And um, you know, Miguel Cabrera, two-time MVP, Frank Thomas, two-time MVP. Um, So, you know, the, the, the accolades are a little bit different, but in terms of the type of hitter and uh, you know, somebody who has played for a long time, the way Ramirez did, I think Frank Thomas, number one, and uh, Miguel Cabrera, number two. I, I love the Frank Thomas comp. I, he was in my thought process when I was thinking through this as a Chicago guy as well, even though it's, you know, on the other side of town, uh, <laughs> can only appreciate Frank Thomas's, you know, plate discipline, power, uh, you know, back-to-back MVPs in the early 90s there. Frank Thomas is a great comp. I, I went really far back in time here, Steve. Um just because of a few things that jumped out to me, but I actually went back to Jimmy Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's kind of two reasons why uh, one, you know, when we're talking about Manny, you said the on-base percentage, how high it was, and that's excellent. The batting average too, though, you know, 312 career batting average while hitting over 500 homers. When I looked at the 500 home run club, which I still, I don't know, growing up, that was a big deal. I know it's a little diminished now, but 500 home run club, I feel like is still extremely exclusive. I feel like it's very hard to get to. When you look at that club, the only people with higher batting averages than Manny Ramirez with over 500 home runs are Ted Williams, Babe Ruth, and Jimmy Fox. That's it. Then it's Manny. So in terms of, you know, getting on, like making contact, getting on base, as well as hitting for power, you know, Manny Ramirez is right up there and he's right behind Jimmy Fox on that list. And then also we, we barely mentioned his days in Cleveland, even though we should, because those were some of his better offensive years. But in 90, in 99, when he hit 165 RBIs, um, that was the most RBIs since I think Jimmy Fox in like the mid thirties that ever been hit in, in major league baseball. And I don't think anyone's hit over 165 since. Um, and it's because Jimmy Fox's name was creeping up in both of those. And if you right. really compare their all time numbers, you know, both 500 club, both, you know, over 300 batting average RBIs are almost neck and neck. You know, Jimmy Fox had a lot more hardware, which again, Manny Ramirez never won an MVP award, which is actually, I mean, I guess you look at who was in the league at that time and there, there's, there's a lot of great players during, but I was kind of surprised, you know, he finished, I believe second once, but never took it home. He was top 10 in MVP voting for eight straight years from 98 to 2005. But yeah, he never won it. Frank Thomas won it twice. I believe Fox won it two or three times. So that's maybe the big thing separating those players. But in terms of their hitting, I mean, he's neck and neck with some of these. Again, Jimmy Fox is an all-time great. Frank Thomas is an all-time great. So he's right. And you, you're throwing out Cabrera. We're talking about Puos. Manny Ramirez is one of the most skilled hitters of all time. I don't think there's anything, you know, I don't think we can, I don't think that's, um, I don't think we're diminishing anyone else's name that we're bringing up by throwing them in the same realm as Manny. That's the type of hitter we're talking about. And players will tell you the same thing too. I mean, when you talk to players about the best, you know, right-handed hitters they've seen, um, the best swings of right-handed hitters, uh, his name does in fact come up an awful lot. 
So um, Steve, I do want to move on to our final segment here. Um, we do, we call this court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. So this is where we're kind of do the case for case against. And we've been talking a lot of great things about Manny so far. We're of course going to have to talk about maybe why he's not in the hall of fame today. Cause he was definitely not a first ballot hall of fame, even though his offensive numbers look like that. But before we maybe take a turn to negative time, I do want to focus a little bit on his numbers in terms of hitting, because we've danced around some of them. And I just want to, I don't want to compare it all time or anything like that. I want to compare it against people on the ballot. You have a ballot at home. You have not, I have not, you have not submitted your ballot yet um, out to the internet or anything like that. So it's still, still close to the vest. And you have, you have a tough assignment ahead of you because you have, in terms of hitters on the ballot, I mean, there's, there's all time names. I mean, there's Barry Bonds, A-Rod's on the ballot now. Todd Helton's still on the ballot. Gary Sheffield on the ballot. Sammy Sosa, Big Poppy's now on. And Manny Ramirez. I mean, those are... And then we're not even talking about... I mean, Ryan Howard is an MVP winner at 58 homers. We're not even talking about those guys because they're not in the same category as who I just went through. But again, Bonds, A-Rod, Helton, Sheffield, Sosa, Big Poppy. Some of the best hitters of the last 30 years. When you look at Ramirez and how he competes competes against all of them in some of the main categories. He's second in career batting average, only Helton's higher. Second in career slugging percentage, only Bonds is higher. Second in career OPS, only Bonds is higher. Second in OPS plus, only Bonds is higher. Third in on base, only Bonds and Helton. Third in RBIs, only A-Rod and Bonds. Fourth in home runs, only Bonds, A-Rod and Sosa. Fourth in runs, Bonds, A-Rod, Sheffield. I mean, we are talking about some of the best hitters of the last 30 years. And he's honestly second in most of these categories. And Barry Bonds is the guy ahead of him. Right. Possibly like top five best player in MLB history. We can, we were, we're not going to go into the Barry Bonds discussion here, but in my head, top five player in MLB history. I have him ranked number three, actually. So that's, he's behind him. And then a couple others. So when we're talking about the hitters on the ballot, and we're just strictly talking from a number standpoint, of maybe Steve, let me put you in this, I guess. If you were a pitcher and you had to go up against against, you know, Barry Bonds, A-Rod, Helton, Sheffield, Sosa, Ortiz, Ramirez, who would you most not want to see like ranking them? Like, is it Bonds for like if you had to rank one, two, three out of those players on the ballot, who do you not want to see? One being the person you definitely don't want to see. And three being the person, I, I still don't want to see him, but I'd be, I feel better about pitching to them. I think Barry Bonds has to be number one. Right. And, he's uh, and, and because, because I'm a righty, you know, I'm facing a left-handed hitter. You know, I think I'd have a little bit more trouble with the left-handed batter, but otherwise, I mean, when you've got Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez, I think those two, we're going to talk about them in tandem an awful lot too. For, for a number of reasons. And I think for the types of hitters that they were for as long as they were, you know, at the top of their game, um, I'd have to put them on pretty much an equal plane. And uh, I mean, maybe you could, you could get A-Rod to chase a little bit easier than you could Manny Ramirez. So I think maybe Manny gets number two on that list because there was just no way to get him out and if you tried to make him hit your pitch he wouldn't bite and uh, he would he would take his walk and he would kill you the next time so uh, I, I think in terms of who i wouldn't want to face ramirez again among right-handed hitters has got to be right up there with with the very best yeah. I mean, the numbers, the numbers don't lie. And I guess Steve, like when I look at those career numbers, I mean, he's, he, if you look at MOB history, I mean, we got hundred over a hundred years, of history, well over a hundred, you know, he's 11th all time in slugging percentage, 12th all time in OPS, 15th all time in career home runs, 19th in RBIs. What, what, should, what are, out of all those numbers, I guess what stands out to you as the most impressive Again, you know, Jim, I go back to that on-base percentage, you know, 411 career on-base percentage. And, and anybody that has over 300 career average, over 400 career uh, on-base percentage, and 500 career slugging percentage, 
um, is, is, is godlike in terms of his hitting ability. And Manny has those easily, in fact. So I, I think, but that, you know, the, the on-base percentage, I think, says it all to me. Um, OBP is life. And, uh, and, and Manny was, was somebody who was going to hit his pitch. Uh, or he wasn't going to swing at it. And uh, I think that to me is the essence of what made him great. And he would, he could do anything with the pitches he swung at. So um, being in the game as long as he was, you know, 19 seasons uh, to accumulate all the numbers, you know, as you said, 500 home run club, 2,500, almost 2,600 hits, um, 12 time all-star. I mean, all those numbers are, are just phenomenal. Um, but again, to me, it's, uh, it's amazing to see him over 400 career uh, in on-base percentage. Yeah, playing that long and playing that late into your career and still holding that and maintaining that, it's very hard to do, so it's extremely impressive. So, Steve, before we get to the extremely fun steroid part of the conversation, yeah. we do need to tackle something else, too. Um, so, <laughs> so Manny did play in the outfield. Um, not great out there. How bad was he? Like how, when we're talking historically outfielders, how bad was he? Because I, I had uh, Neil Payne from 538 on, and we were talking about Gary Sheffield being possibly the worst outfielder in MOB history in terms of just how he was out there. Was, was Manny as bad as Gary Sheffield? Does he have a bad rap out there? Because I know he had a, an okay arm. But, but where do you stand on Manny's defense? Does that impact your thoughts around voting for him? Because you, you do usually play offense and defense unless you're DH. Like, does that impact you because he wasn't an excellent defender and was actually pretty subpar? Absolutely. And, um, you know, number one, it is tough to play left field in Fenway Park. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we do have to acknowledge that. But in terms of his range, and his instincts out in the outfield, he was, you know, if, if Sheffield was the worst, Manny Ramirez was pretty darn close to the worst. And uh, I, you know, I, I was reading, can't remember, I think Jay Jaffe does, you know, a fantastic job of, of talking about a player's career and all of the aspects of his career. And I think when you take, you know, defensive runs saved and, and uh, the metrics that at least that Jay uses, in the Jaws system and everything, Manny Ramirez was like the sixth worst outfielder of all time. So in terms, I mean, he's a neg over negative 100 runs in terms of his defensive uh, contributions. So yes, he was, he was very bad, but I think too, you have to at least acknowledge that the reason that the Red Sox had to play Manny Ramirez is because David Ortiz was an even worse defensive player. Yep. It was even more of a liability. So David Ortiz was not coming out of that lineup. He was the guy that had to be DH on, on any other team, maybe in baseball. Manny Ramirez would have been a full-time designated hitter, and we wouldn't necessarily be talking about the negative uh, and the accumulative negative war that he had because of his defense. But again, they had to put him out there and... Uh, they, they, they may do, and they certainly would, would were fine with the trade-off because the stuff, uh, you know, the benefits that he brought you offensively more than outweighed any of the, uh, the defensive negatives. Yeah, so I totally get that. If I was a Boston fan, I wouldn't care if he's out in left field, to be honest. Um, this is not even close comparison, but we had Kyle Schwarber during my Cubs World Series run. He could not play left field, but <laughs> I did not care because he could hit, and Nowhere near the hitter Manny is. I'm not trying to compare College Warber to Manny, but to us for a couple of those weeks there, he was like a Manny Ramirez to us, especially when he came back in the playoffs. So I totally get, you know, being able to bypass that. But you still, when we're looking at a candidacy, we can't overlook that. They did have to put him out there, whether it's fair or not, because Big Poppy had to be the DH. Um, he was out there. That definitely did hurt his overall war because it's in the negative there. And yeah, historically, if you look at the grading systems, whether it be fan graphs, or baseball reference, uh, both paint him in a equally terrible light in terms of defense. And again, I don't remember, I don't really have like recall any, I mean, I didn't watch every Boston Red Sox game that ever was on. I don't recall too many like huge blunders, 
but yeah, he wasn't getting too many balls um, that weren't hit directly at him. And as we talked about earlier, you know, he's, he's stealing the cutoff and doing things that not help the team. Let's put it that way. So you probably never felt good when it was getting hit off the wall. And as a hitter, I'm sure all you were trying to do is drive it out to Manny out that way. Um, okay. So we, we've kind of not talked about it at all. So good job by us. We talked about his career and everything about it, except probably the reason why he's going to be on the ballot for his sixth year. Cause I think we've gone back and forth, Steve, his numbers are there. And even though we said his defense is terrible, I, uh, there's plenty of bad defenders in the hall of fame today, but it's around the steroid discussion and, and you are a voter. And I actually, I, I saw how, how you voted last year. I, I, I know who you're voting for. So Steve, I kind of, for the audience, um, we we're talking about Manny, but would also like to just know your take. I usually ask the voters on anytime a steroid candidate is involved. What is your take on steroids when it comes to players on the ballot and, and how you're voting? I'm just curious your your take on all of this. My my approach to those guys and is that Major League Baseball I felt was complicit, just as complicit as the players were in the steroid era where it was essentially a free for all. And that's where, you know, we got the inflated numbers, we got the, you know, the home runs from McGuire and Sosa and Barry Bonds and all of those guys. Um, that was kind of an unregulated era before Major League Baseball finally said or, or was forced to, you know, I think the owners would have loved to continue that for forever. But baseball was forced to come to uh, grips with the fact that players were using whatever illegal substances um, that they were and to crack down on it. So. When Major League Baseball finally said, you know, here is our testing policy, the penalties are in place now, you get suspended, um, and everybody's going to be tested. To me, that is a huge line in how you divide the pre-testing era and the post-testing era. And so when Barry Bonds and all of the players that, you know, we suspect, we know, um, we have a very good idea, use something, we don't know who else did. And that's, that's the thing with that, you know, that time in baseball history, pitchers were using, hitters were using, and we had no way of knowing or proving who did and who didn't. To me, you look at that era and say, okay, because I can't tell for sure, I'm going to judge all of those players against them, you know, that players of that era. And to me, that's why I continue to vote for Barry Bonds, continue to vote for Roger Clemens, because they were in that pre-testing era where you just have to say, were they the best of the steroid era? If you want to put the air quotes around that. Mm -hmm. And I think, yes, they absolutely were. It all changes for me when we now have concrete evidence in the testing, you know, every player gets tested. And when Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, players like that come up with positive tests, suspensions, then that's completely different to me. And we can make a judgment on those players. And that's why I have not voted for Manny Ramirez in his term on the ballot because of 2009 when he was suspended for, you know, tested positive for a PED and suspended 50 games. And then again, you're talking about the, his raised tenure, which was very forgettable. Another reason why is because of another positive test that he had. Had he continued to play, he would have been subject to a 100 game suspension. He decided not to take that and retire. And that was the end of Manny Ramirez's career. And so, the question I think, Jim, that it all boils down to, and I won't say that it's it's something that I'm locked into. I, I think we will will learn an awful lot in the next year, two years, with Alex Rodriguez on the ballot, yep. uh, because yes, he did test positive, but it was late in his career. Manny Ramirez, you know, his career was essentially over, really. Um, in 2009, he was 37 years old at the time. Um, does that matter? 
you know, should does that cloud the entire, you know, 15 years that came before that? Um, that's the real big question for me right now. It does. It gives me enough doubt on the rest about the rest of his career that I'm not voting for him. If we learn more, I, I think there is a possibility as we learn more about players, you know, post testing, you know, the dividing line. Um, maybe we learn more about, you know, how long it stays in system, you know, things of that nature. Maybe we get more anecdotal evidence of, you know, which we had, uh, you know, Jose Canseco coming out and talking about players that he saw, you know, maybe we get more confirmation in that regard. Um, but right now, I think that's the big thing with Manny Ramirez. Does the, the suspension and the potential second suspension invalidate all of his accomplishments throughout his career. Um, you could make a case that it shouldn't, uh, but in that, in, in my personal opinion, yes, it does. Yeah. No, and that's completely fair. And see, I, I share the exact same thought process in terms of how I look at steroids. I, I think there is a before and after. I think it was the absolute wild west up until they started instituting testing, and then after that, yeah, then I think. Every, at least it's clear it's trans it's somewhat transparent in terms of what's expected and and what you can and can't do and and then you know manny got in trouble and he got suspended and i twice right did it happen twice or just once yeah he was suspended twice. once and then tested positive yeah. again with the rays um yep. and would have been suspended um the other thing too jim you know, we we need to kind of mention too the survey tests in 2003 where names were leaked of players who tested positive when it was supposed to be anonymous. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz's names were both, you know, part of that leak, uh, that leak. Um, again, with me, I think that is something that is separate um, because the data is not fully known. We don't know. I mean, there were a lot of uh, substances that you could take over the counter yep. back then that triggered a positive test. Um, there weren't backup tests and things like that that were matched to players' names. So to me, that's kind of a gray area that I'm really kind of pushing to the side, you know, and it's, it's not so much that it, I, I would hold it against Manny, or hold it against David Ortiz either, for that matter. I mean, we're going to hear a lot about David Ortiz in 2003, now that he's on the ballot. Mm -hmm. So I think that needs to come up, too, in the discussion and how the voters handled that information about Manny Ramirez. Yeah. No, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I mean, with A-Rod and, and Ortiz, I feel like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I mean, you're obviously talking to a lot more people than I am, like, I don't know if, to me, Big Poppy seems to be kind of getting, not a free pass, but he does not get looked at the same as A-Rod or Manny or some of these other players. Would you agree with that, or am I, am I kind of missing the mark there? Well, again, the point of it is, is that A-Rod was suspended for an entire yes. season. Manny Ramirez was suspended. David Ortiz was not. Yeah. And, you know, he was subject to testing his entire career and never yeah. failed a test. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the information that I'm going by when I make my case, you know, for and against David Ortiz. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. So last thing, Steve, before I get to kind of the final verdict here, one other thing I was thinking of, this doesn't bother me at all. I'm just curious if it, you know, it even comes across your mind or if steroids is really glaring thing, but you know, the end of Manny's career, he just kept trying to hang on, you know, he, he was going through minor league systems for a while. I think he went over to Japan for a bit. I think he's like still playing in Australia now. Right. <laughs> it's just kind of like you almost look at the last 10 years and, you know, some players go out on top, but unfortunately most don't go out on top. And you, those last several years seem to linger more in your head when they're slower or older is not as great. Um, do you think that has any impact at all as you look at Manny as a guy who was trying to get back in, toiling away in the minors? Or, or do you just look at it as that guy who just, he loves baseball and he just wanted to keep playing? I mean, does that tarnish your image at all of him? No, I, I think it, it makes him more sympathetic of a player to me because, I mean, 
there's no difference between Manny Ramirez holding on and trying to come back than there was Julio Franco, remember, who yeah. was was still I, I think it says yeah, hitting. I think it says an awful lot about how really good he mm-hmm. was that he still had the ability, you know, and the confidence to be able to do that. And you know, some of those little stints in the minors and in, in Korea and Australia. He was pretty darn good still, you know, in his 40s. So to me, that's you know, Manny does what Manny does, and that's play baseball. And uh, he was and continued to be, you know, even in his later years, very, very good at it. So, um, no, it does not tarnish his uh, reputation, his legacy at all to me. Yeah. So, Steve, I kind of know your answer to the first question, but I'm going to ask anyway. So, two questions here at the end. First question is, you know, are are you going to to vote for Manny Ramirez? And then the the second question is, do you think he'll ever ever get in Cooperstown? Um, my vote will not be for Manny Ramirez this time. But as I said, Jim, I I'm open to possibly reconsidering it if we learn more um, and we find out more. Um, I I think the voting trends as for whether he'll get in or not, the voting trends say no. Um, And it's pretty clear because he has not made many gains. You know, you only get 10 years on the ballot and uh, he's used up more than half of that now. And uh, I don't think, you know, in terms of the veterans committees or whatever, um, the folks, the gatekeepers of the game, in in that realm certainly are not looking on players with any kind of steroid tint or or anything that have uh, steroids touching their career in any way uh they're not looking favorably on those players so as things stand right now i i don't see there's any way that manny ramirez does get into the hall of fame despite as i said you know being one of the greatest right-handed hitters of his generation and um you know, that's, that's kind of, kind of sad. Yeah. I, 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 I'm agreeing with both of you on both points. I I would not vote him in either. Um, at the, at this time, I don't think he'll ever get in, um, unless, you know, 30, 40 years from now where we're looking at things just much differently and, you know, they get people like McGuire in and, and, and players like that. But until they're going in, I think Manny's on the outside. I mean, you know, more likely than not, as you said, trending-wise, Manny is not going to get up there. And honestly, I think he'll drop in voting percent this year just because now there's A-Rod competing with him and, and David Ortiz competing with him. So I don't see him gaining any votes this year. Um, and then, yeah, he's running out of eligibility here. And, you know, Sosa is going to drop off, of course. So I think, again, I think Manny is a better hitter, had a better career than a Sosa, um, even better than a McGuire. But I still think those guys are all in, you know, 40 years from now, if there's a different committee and they call it the steroid air committee and, and they start getting some of these guys in, who knows? I could see him maybe getting in there, but he will not get in while he's on, you know, eligible for the, the modern air ballot. Yeah. So I agree 75% is hard. It it's is. really, really hard. And as we saw last year, when nobody reached that, um, it, it is difficult to get consensus among a large group of baseball writers uh, such that we have voting for the Hall of Fame. Well, Steve, I, I'm not going to lie. I felt terrible for you. So um, if my listeners don't know, last year was Steve's very first year voting, and I was super excited for him, and then no one no one got voted in. Um, second year as a voter, two questions for you real quick, Steve, before you get out of here. One, um, do you think you spend, like, do you feel more confident, not confident, but do you think you're, you got the process down of what you did last year? Because I know last year was your first year. We talked at length about you, you know, the process you were taking, you're going to spend all this time. Do you feel a little more like you got the process down this year? You're still trying to figure out how much time more do you think you have to spend with your ballot before you're ready to submit? I I think every year it's, it's a struggle to make sure you get it right. And, you know, as we talked a couple of years ago, you know, with the Jeff Kent podcast, before I had a ballot, you know, I was struggling with with who I thought deserved to get in then. So, I mean, it's it's a process that that I, I'm fully aware of, of how much effort and research and everything that it takes. Um, so, but 
knowing that I had a pretty full ballot last year and the guys that I did vote for, you know, I, I voted for nine players last year. Um, and uh, I think pretty much all of them are still on the ballot this year. So a lot of the research is done. Um, it's just the new guys that are coming on, take a look at how they fit in and uh, and where you know I, I rank them and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think it'll be a little bit easier though after having finally cast that first ballot and and knowing that uh, you know this one is for real, um, I think having that experience under my belt will make it a lot easier this year. And, and Steve, do you think someone gets in this year? I honestly, I don't. I, I think we may, just because there are so many questions, you know, Schilling is, is probably going to be He's the most down. interesting one um, because he was the guy that had the highest number of votes last year, the mm -hmm. highest percentage. Um, and the newcomers, uh, Ortiz, I think is, is an interesting case as well. But as, as we've discussed, you know, do, do the writers want to put him in on the first ballot? Uh, you know, maybe he eventually makes it. That's a good question. I think it's going to be very difficult for anybody again to get 75% this year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough back-to-back -back years of no one getting in. It could happen. Uh, however, the veterans committee did, did elect six people. So, at minimum, those six will be getting, which is great. So um, I'm hoping someone gets in this year. I would hate for another year to go by with no one getting in. But um, as you said, 75%, very hard. And this ballot, oh my gosh, some of the names on this ballot. I feel bad for any of the newcomers that have a borderline chance because they might fall right off and, and it's not really their fault. They're just coming to yeah. an absolutely loaded ballot. The Jimmy and Rollins I of the world, I, I feel for. I will say that that that's something that I think about too. In when I fill out my ballot, I like to use as as uh, you know up to the maximum for just those guys that I feel you know I don't want to see fall off the ballot because that's the real injustice. You know, not making it in. Yeah, you might have the next year to be able to to get more votes, but the guys that fall off that were really really good players, I feel for the Johan Santanas and guys whose careers really deserve a lot more, um, uh, a lot closer look, and, and they don't get it. Yeah, no, I agree. Steve, anything you want to plug before you get you out of here? I uh, just want to say, check out the baseball writing that I do at usatoday.com and uh, in the pages of, of USA Today Sports Weekly. Looking forward to uh, actually having some more real baseball to, uh, to write about and talk about. So hopefully we can get this uh, labor situation uh, under control pretty soon. Got, got, got to hope for that. But again, we got a few more weeks at least of this, which is nice. Um, but yeah, hopefully Indeed. we can figure it out. Steve, appreciate you coming on today. Again, good luck with your ballot. And um, we'll have to wait and see if anyone gets that 75%. Thanks so much, Jim. Appreciate the invite. Always great to talk to you. All right, so I want to thank Steve again for coming on for the third time to talk about Manny Ramirez and his ballot. It'll be very interesting to see who he ends up voting for once he submits that ballot. But we do know now Manny Ramirez will not have his box checked. Uh, but that takes care of today's episode. If you don't already, please subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating review. Follow us on Twitter at Pot of Fame. And we will talk to you next Monday. Have a great week. And the world